Well, good morning. It is a it is a rainy spring Sunday morning in southern Indiana, and I hope that you find yourself um, excited about what God has for you this morning because I am. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about hurt. I want to talk about wounds of our life. You know, it's impossible for us to really go through this life without experiencing hurt from someone's betrayal, someone's lies, someone's destructive damage in in our uh, life, isn't it? You know, we're going to come across at one point some fallible human being who's going to hurt us, and then we're going to turn around as fallible human beings, and we're going to hurt somebody else as well. A, a good friend of mine who just went through the most horrific betrayal in their life. He, he was going through this hurt, and at the same time, I was going through a different type of hurt in my life. And as we kind of on parallel tracks talked about it together, he began to share with me some insights that began to really minister to me deeply. And, and God used him, and God used me in his life. And, and I'd like to share with you some of the journey that I learned with him. Here's the, here's the deal. We're not going to ever be able to get beyond this life without going through hurt. I mean, here's a good example, our March Madness brackets. I mean, <laughs> I see my March Madness bracket and I go, oh, it's awful, you know. But if you're a Kentucky fan, you have one last hope, right? Yeah. So, so that's exciting. Uh, tit, I see that up in the balcony. I see that. You're excited about it. You know, actually, um, real quick, I actually have a, uh, there's a guy on the North Carolina uh, basketball team. He's actually one of the guys on the bench that my wife and I actually discipled some of the guys in their family. So I'm not rooting for North Carolina. I'm rooting for that individual. I'm rooting for Kentucky because I live within this uh, region, all right? Now, here, here's what I want to ask you this morning. Could there be a board in your life, okay, that looks kind of like this, and I'm going to explain it. Maybe you grew up and there was a board in your basement or a board in your life that was a part of the two-by-four frame of the house that was built for you, and there was marks that were created, and the marks represented the growth in your life or maybe the growth in your sibling's life. And every single time you'd grow, you know, they, your parents or someone that you grew up with would mark their, uh, your growth with a, a time and a date. I was home recently, and I went to the basement, and I will never forget seeing that board. And there were marks where I'd grown, and I, I had, you know, just grown in my life. And there was a date, and there was a time. And if I were to look back at those marks, some of the marks represented seasons in my life, to be quite honest with you, that, that were really, really good. And then other marks in my life, they weren't so good. But what if every single one of us, we had one of these boards that just didn't mark the physical growth in our life, but they were, they were marks of the wounds of our life, of the hurt in our life. Every single one of us would have a board just like this, but there wouldn't be eight marks here. There would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and even perhaps thousands. And what we do so many times is we actually want to cover up the hurts in our life. We want to act like everything's good. We want to act like everything is great. And, and in fact, I've found and seen in life the more confident people in life so, so many times actually are some of the most hurtful and most wounded people in life. They're actually trying to get past that. It's one of the motivating things um, that they'll ever go through. And so there's some kind of achievement that they try to achieve to, to mask what's behind them so often. You know, if you were to show your board to the world, maybe there would be a mark. There'd be a mark of alcoholism. 
because your dad or your mom or you or someone in your life, they had said things, they had done things, and the, the, the wounds go deep. Or maybe there would be a mark in your life of abuse. You grew up with abuse. Someone did something to you. Someone said something to you. And you cannot think about it without feeling that same hurt. Or maybe your board and, and your life would represent the fact that, you know, you came home with the, with the report card and it showed an improvement in grades, but then you were still compared to the straight A's of your, your sibling or your friend. Or maybe the mark represents the fact that your mom, your dad, they never said, I love you or someone close to you. Or, or maybe one of the marks on the board in your life would be the fact that you still feel rejected because of your singleness that you find yourself in. Or maybe one of the marks in your life is from the fact that you were told recently or way back in the day that you were adopted. And even though you, you have a wonderful family, just couldn't help but sense the fact that why would anyone ever give you up for somebody else? It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. The marks of, of hurt and wounds of our life. And we try to hide them, right? We try to, to bottle them up and, and, and look past them. But they, my friends, are a part of our life. We want to look strong and secure, but to our very core, we've all gone through these things. And as we look to Psalm 55 today, if you'll turn in your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet or utilize the Bible that's in front of you, we'd love to give that Bible to you as a gift. If, if you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. You're going to encounter a man by the name of David. And this is the same David who would literally kill a lion, kill a, a, a bear with his bare hands to save one of his sheep. This is the same David that would actually kill a Goliath named Goliath. He, this is the same David that was a military expert. This is the same David who was king, but at the same time a man who went through mark after mark after mark of pain in his life. And if, as we look close and we go through this psalm together, what we're going to see is not just a king who was known for all of the things that he had done in his life, but we're going to see a king who had been hurt badly. And, and it kind of, in the psalms, it ramps up to Psalm 55. Because in Psalm 52, we see that he'd been hurt by somebody outside of his country. And then in Psalm 54, we see that he'd been hurt within, from somebody within his country. And then Psalm 55, it's kind of the like the climax of his hurt and his pain. And many times we see like a king like David, right? We don't see all the hurt and the pain that has got him to the point where he is today. You see, our, our, our hurts, they play a bigger role in our lives than we even want to let on. We walk around and we mask them so often, but oftentimes the boards, they go so high into the sky. He, his life, he reminds me of a businesswoman who I knew who was a community leader. And she one time shared with me, Ray, she said, the reason why I've, I've achieved as much as I've achieved and I've gone as hard as I've gone is the fact that I was really trying to mask the fact that my husband had abandoned me and that I'd grown up in an abusive situation. They're so, so, so impacting on our life. So we look to the words of David this morning that are challenging and transformational, and we look at the marks of pain. We look at the marks of hurt as we go through each and every hurt. Look at it with me. The first one, the first mark is the fact that David is dealing with some kind of adversary. Something has really upset him, and if we look at verse 1, he begins to write the words of lament. He says in verse 1, give ear to my prayer, O God, 
and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give, give heed to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I'm surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge upon me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So this man is king. Saul is dead as nemesis. He's rapidly rising in the world ranks of fame, and yet he uses strong words to communicate his hurt. If you were to underline words like anguish and terrors of death and horror has overwhelmed him, these are words that are, you makes you wonder, well, who has hurt him? And what could they have possibly done to make him feel like he feels? It's catastrophic language for a, a lion killer and a bear killer and a giant slayer, isn't it? Even a man of that proportion is, finds himself hurt and trembling and overwhelmed. And we find ourselves in the second mark this morning the pain has caused him so much pain, in fact, that he finds himself, the, the second mark would be with escapist thoughts. Look at it with me in verse 6. He said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah, I would hasten my, to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and the tempest. If you read that last phrase again with me in verse 8, he says, I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. You know what he's saying? Oh, could I get on the wings of Southwest? Could I go to Hawaii? Could I go to an island? Could I find myself in a tropic because I want to get far away from the hurt that I'm experiencing now? Any place would be better than what I'm feeling now in my own life. David wants to get away. He finds himself in escapist thoughts. And then in verses 9 through 11, he finds himself, he deviates a bit, and he starts to talk about all the destruction in his own city. And the destruction isn't coming from the outside rank. It's coming from within. There was a real famous cartoonist, and he says this. He says, we have met the enemy. <laughs> and he says, the enemy is us. That, that the strife and the issues taking place in David's own life and his own city are because of those within his own city. They don't come from the outside. They come from within. And the reason why they come from within is because it's not the government's fault. It's not, you know, this person's fault. It's our own wickedness. It's our own sin. It's our own fallenness, our own issues. And there isn't any really change to where we are today, is there? The, the, the problems with our own house or the problems with our own relationships, our own city, our own sidewalks, our, our own state, our own country. It's not the government's fault. It's our fault. And it leaves us in a place where we identify our wickedness. And when we identify our wickedness because of the destruction that we cause, it leaves us in a place needing a lifeboat, a Savior. A Savior who would die on a cross for all the sins of humanity. He would die for your sins and my sins because we could never uh, be good enough to have a relationship with a holy God. And because there's a holy God and we're not holy, His death on the cross would make a way for you and I so that our wickedness could be redeemed. And, and that, my friends, is good news. But we learn that David is in the midst of hurt by a close friend. And that brings us to the third mark, and that's the treachery of a close friend. Look at it with me in verse 12. It says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. 
He says, look, I've dealt with outside treachery. I've gone through the ranks of hurt and pain. You know, you think of the treachery that had befallen this great man. That Saul had tried to pin him to a wall with a spear. That his enemies had hunted him down like a wanted criminal. But he says, that's kindergarten compared to what I'm dealing with. That's nonsense compared to what I'm going through right now. And in verse 13, we begin to get an idea of what hurt and why he is experiencing what he's experiencing. He says in verse 13, he says, But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. That it's the person that he had counted on the most. It's the person that he had relied upon, that he had trusted upon, that he had expected to be there when he needed him. He had said, look, I, I thought I could have trusted my parents. I, th- I thought I could have trusted my wife or my husband. I-, I thought I could have trusted my children. I thought I could have trusted my closest friends. I thought I could have trusted my brother or my sister, even in the community of Jesus Christ. But they fled me down. And then to pour salt on the wound, you, you read in verse 14, it says, We who had sweet fellowship together, they walked in the house of God in the throng. That, that he had, this companion walked together. They had grown in following this God, Yahweh. That not only that, but they had celebrated, they had worshipped together this God, Yahweh. And when you worship in the community of Yahweh, when you worship in the community of Jesus Christ, what begins to happen is you form a bond. A bond that is like no other. And when you be, begin to form this bond, what you expect the most is loyalty. And when you expect loyalty, when there's a severance, of that loyalty. And you experience the same disloyalty that really we experience in this life so often in our culture. It hurts more than you ever thought it would hurt. Maybe you come from a situation where a church had split in the past. Painful times. Or maybe someone betrayed you. You know, just a few years ago, this very church went through a horrific time. And we and people will come up to me to this day and tell me about the hurt that they experienced with somebody leaving or, or somebody getting upset or whatever the case. And ultimately, you know, we'll all discover and, and really go through hurt in our life. But it's excruciating. I had a really good friend of mine who was a, a businessman, and he led a small group of people in his, in his home um, at a church that he was involved in. And he was actually business uh, partners with another man who was a Christ follower, and this man was discovered that he was actually embezzling money from my friend. And so he confronts his friend, and the friend denies it. Well, he says, well, here's the proof right here, friend. And he, as he begins to, to review the proof, he begins to, the friend actually acknowledges the fact that he's been stealing from the man, and a, a rift begins to happen, and they can't clean up the messiness. And the next time I saw my friend, he had aged years. And here's why. Because this hurt within the body of Christ. It's like pouring salt on a wound when we experience the kind of hurt when we ultimately expect loyalty. See, this is the hurt that is bottomless, isn't it? And then the fourth mark that David experiences is found in verse 15. He's he's hurt now. He's resentful. He's mad. He's on the bitter bus. He's bought the whole fleet. And you find it there in verse 15, Read it with me. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol. For evil is in their dwelling and in their midst. See, this verse, it stands by, on its own. 
He's not mincing words. He's being straight to the point, and you get the feeling that he's not messing around. He's black and white. He's saying, I want them dead. And here's what he's referring to. Numbers chapter 16, the sons of Korah, who were not followers of God. It was reported in that time that the earth literally opened up and swallowed these followers of Korah whole. And David says, that's exactly what I want my enemies to befall on them. And I'll be honest with you, it makes me feel just a little bit better about what I've thought and said about people that have hurt me. (laughs) When you have somebody like this saying these kinds of things. Friends, this kind of hurt, it can be toxic. It can cut. It, It can rip our lives apart. And if we're not careful, it will inevitably hurt others. How many of you with a show of hands have ever heard the phrase, Hurt people hurt people. How many of you have heard that? Yeah, many of us have heard that. It's a true statement. You may try not to let it seep out of your life. You may try to not let it damage your life. But eventually the the marks of hurt in your life will pile up. And even though you try to hide it and mask it with, you know, all kinds of success and all kinds of this and that, it's going to show itself out. And when it shows itself out, it's going to wreak havoc in your life. And so I would pray that we would all discover the God who is stronger than our hurt. The, the, the God who will recover and redeem and eventually heal our deepest relational wounds and hurts in our life. So this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the characteristics. Okay? The characteristics of people, namely David, who found a God to be stronger than their hurt. And, and, we, and we see this first one with the fifth mark of David's life in verse 16 and following. We see that in David's life and we see it in others' lives, the fact that he would persevere instead of want instantaneous results. How many of you love instantaneous results? Do you remember when the internet just came, came into being and we, we had dial-up internet? Do you remember that? How painstaking that would be? Would anyone put up with that today? Nobody would put up with that today. But that was a part of our life. Now I'm dating myself, okay? But he would persevere. He would discover the stronger than God, and he would persevere and said, I want instant results. Look at it with me in verse 16. It says, As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. See, the hurts and wounds of his life would eventually heal. He knew that wounds won't heal instantly, but they would take time. That the hurts and pains of our life, they take time, friends. Did you ever hear about the, the two boys? That, <laughs> they, were, they were at the hospital, and they were in two different beds in a hospital room waiting a surgery to be done. And the one boy looks at the other and says, what are you in here for? And he says, well, I'm getting my tonsils out. And the other boy said, oh, don't worry about it. I had that last year. They, 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 they put you to sleep, and you wake up, and you've got all the jello and all the ice cream you want, and you recover. It's, it's no piece of cake. It'd be no problem. The other boy is relieved and said, well, what are you in here for? And, he, and, and the other boy says, well, I'm in here for circumcision. And the other boy goes, oh. I had that when I was born. I couldn't walk for a year. (laughs) 
some wounds take longer to heal than others, don't they? <laughs> but you know, David, he's, he's hurting. He's, he's in excruciating pain. And he's bitter. And he's really frustrated. And he's holding on to the hurt. But then what you begin to see is a characteristic difference in his life when he begins to discover the God who is stronger than his hurt. And you see a persevering prayer begin to take place in his life because he knows the wounds and the miracle that happens over time is through perseverance. He says in verse 16, would you read it again with me? He says, as for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. The prayer he's praying is a persevering prayer. That it's line by line, it's stanza by stanza, it's moment by moment, it's hour by hour. My, my wife and I, we know a, a good friend of ours, and she is the model of this. She got married right out of college, and she had dreams, aspirations of what their future would behold. They would have children. How many kids did they have? Three. They had three children. And she had all these plans for their life, but what she discovered shortly after she was married to this man was that he was not the man she thought he was. And long story short, she found herself abandoned. She found herself alone with no job, with no real place to live, and her husband in jail. And with all that, in the back of her life, in front of her was a decision. And the decision she chose was to deal with her hurt through persevering prayers that she would go to a stronger than God. And let me tell you, years later now, unbelievable, miraculous things have taken place in her life, and she's not bitter at all. In fact, that she leads the way, and she is a, such an incredible testimony to what it looks like to trust and pray and have a persevering attitudes with a God who is stronger than. Because God's timing is, yes, certainly within the minutes and the hours, but many times it takes a lot longer than we thought, doesn't it? How many times have you wanted instantaneous results and it took forever, right? If we look at the, the early pages of the Torah, which are the first few books of the Bible, we look at the references to Yahweh, to God. He is called the, the guide of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and how many generations is that? How many, folks? It's three, three generations, that it takes generations maybe, in fact, for God's timing to play itself out. You see, we can't microwave our healing, even though we want it to. But we find the characteristics of people who are willing to discover the stronger than God of their hurt, folks, that on their knees, shaking in pain, reeling with wounds, to be trusting God in the middle of it. Then we look in verse 22. It says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. David says, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And it's a promise that as we look over the years, we see the righteous and how they are unshaken because of their, because of their discovery in a God who is stronger. We discover healing. We just see that there's relational healing. There's soul healing. That there's type of healing that can only be described by a miraculous God. And there's almost a sense of beautiful forgetfulness that takes place in a person's life. 
But then another characteristic that is true of people who deeply discover a stronger than God is, is found in the sixth mark in David's journey is that they gradually disinfect the wound. And really there's three basic examples of how he disinfects the wound. I, that, that friend that, that I told you about earlier, he shared with me these things and it, it so struck me that I just couldn't help but share them with you that disinfection of the wound, it's, it's three things that we see even in the life of David. First of all, that David, he would acknowledge the fact that there was hurt. He wouldn't bury it. He wouldn't try to stomp it down and push it down to the ground, even though that it, we want to do that. We want to hide behind it, or in front of it, I mean. I come from Ohio, and uh, I'm the oldest of five kids. We had seven people, seven people in our family in a very small home, Three bedrooms, one bath, split level. And we were on a septic, and the septic was buried underneath our backyard. And every now and then, we'd have to pump out the septic. Well, a great amount of time went through, uh, went before us before we got it pumped. And one day, I vividly remember walking outside in our backyard with a couple buddies, getting ready to go play football, and I stepped inches into raw sewage. And let me tell you, it was, oh, it was unpleasant. I mean, the smell and, you know, obviously you're like, okay, there goes football for the day, you know. And I go in and tell my parents and they call the septic people and they can't do it for a number of weeks. And so for weeks on end, we smell quite unpleasant. For weeks on end that there's nastiness in our backyard and our neighbors just loved us, let me tell you. But see, if you don't, acknowledge the hurt, it's going to be like sewage in your backyard. It's going to fester and it's going to breed malcontent and it's going to just become this wound that is not going to heal. And before you know it, it's going to just, it's going to flow into the backyard of your life. We've got to acknowledge it if we're going to disinfect the wound of hurt in our life. But then also we read Verse 23 and following, David says, But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days. This is a great reminder, not only the fact that to disinfect wounds, we need to acknowledge the hurt, but also the fact that we need friends to lead the judging to God. The Bible says that he is the ultimate judge. He is the righteous judge. And that just because you're going through hurt in your life, friend, it doesn't mean that he doesn't see your hurt. And just because you're going through hurt doesn't make you the, 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 the chief judge of them. In fact, you've got to leave it to God and let him judge righteously. And maybe not they'll ever be judged in this life, but friend, one day they will stand before the ultimate judge and we will all stand and be judged. Now, here, here's the thing, though. If you're personally going through physical abuse or you're right now going through sexual abuse, this is an opportunity for you to seek legal help, for you to seek legal protection, that you don't have to sit under that. Or if you know someone who's going through that, friend, let me tell you, seek out protection for that. Jesus oftentimes would say, would you protect the innocent, okay? But outside of that, in many ways, we need to leave the justice to God. Let God judge them, and he will deal as he's promised in his word. See, people who gradually disinfect the wound, they acknowledge the hurt instead of burying it. They leave justice to God, and then ultimately, this is the biggest one in my book, they extend forgiveness. Everybody, take your hands right now and just go like this. Just extend your hands out in front of you. Okay, you can put your hands back. But would you think about it in your mind, extending forgiveness 
to those who might have hurt you. There's a book written by a guy by the name of David Augsburger, and it's called The Freedom of Forgiveness. And he tells the story of a man who had been married for many years, but the last 10 years of his marriage had gone down extremely quickly because his wife was an alcoholic, a raging alcoholic. And their marriage was pretty much about gone. Their kids' relationship with the mom was about gone. It was really just the worst environment possible. And one day when she was completely drunk, she acknowledged the fact that the reason why she was an alcoholic was because 10 years previous, she had an affair with his best friend at church. And he became so angry. I mean, I would have been too. He became so angry that he vowed that he would never forgive his friend and that he would never forgive his wife and that he wanted the same justice on them as he had experienced in the last 10 years. And he talks about how he reluctantly went to church that next Sunday and he writes, there he stood, my best friend, his hand out. The same old smile, the same hypocritical hello. He said, my hand, though, he felt frozen in my pocket. I could not get it out. I struggled for what must have been only a fragment of a second, but to me it was an eternity. I'll never forgive that man, I thought. He'll pay for every moment. I've suffered for ten miserable years, but now all the hatred my heart held fought with the truth that broke over me as I faced my enemy and friend. The truth I have thoughtlessly prayed a thousand times, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Then with a sob in my soul, my hand came out and gripped his. I took the hand of the man who had betrayed everything I loved, the man who had ruined my whole life for a moment of passion. And for the first time in my life, I knew what it was to forgive. For the first time, I felt the tremendous sense of freedom, liberty, of lighter than air release as the unbearable weight of bitterness washed out of me and was free, free to forgive and free to live again. And that new freedom was not only gave me the strength to go on, but it gave me the resources to love my way through the barrier of my wife and me as well. When I told her, I forgive you, I accept you just as I did the day we were married, then healing, he said, began its slow change. It's an incredible story, right? But it's so hard to do. But here's what I found. Those who have been forgiven much are to forgive much. And those who have been forgiven much, we, we sense the cross, and, and we look at the cross, and it's a marker, it's a symbol of the ultimate act of forgiveness that our heard in our pain was inflicted upon Jesus Christ. And he not only took his hand out of his pocket, even as we inflicted pain upon him, but he also then climbed up upon a cross and he took on the sins of our life, the sins of our pain, so that we don't have to perform. We don't have to be good enough. We don't need a priest. We have a high priest, a mediator, who went before us that we can be redeemed and be forgiven and enjoy a personal relationship with, yes, friend, your creator of the entire universe and you impersonally. You see, what we understand is that this kind of forgiveness, it prompts us, reach out your hands again real quick for me. Yeah, it prompts extending forgiveness as we've been forgiven. 
And this is critical because if we don't do this, if we don't disinfect the wound, what will happen in our life is that we will end up with sewage in our backyard and we will end up destroying our very own life. Another characteristic of people who have found God to be stronger than their hurt is really in the seventh mark we're going to look at, and that is that they extend compassion to other hurt people. If you look at Psalm 55 and you were to go home and read it a few times, what you're going to learn is that David, this is stuff that he had lived in. He wasn't just talking about some theory. That's what I love. I, I, I went to undergrad school and then I went to graduate school and I loved uh, the professors in my life who had gone and done ministry. They spoke out of experience instead of just something they had read in a book. And in the same way, this is David's life, and he's speaking out of his own heart. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 28 would see, all things work together for the good of those who love God. You see, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, what God wants you to do and wants to do in your life is that he wants to cause the hurt to be a healing for someone else. Here's, a, here's the thing, friends. I, I don't like sharing my hurt. Okay? I, I don't want to just share these things, especially on the stage. But you know what? I do it because someday, somehow, some way, it's going to be a blessing to someone else. Maybe you've gone through a bitter divorce or a product of divorce. Maybe that that hurt and wound of the past could be used in someone else's life or you could be a part of their healing process. Maybe you struggled with alcoholism. Or maybe someone in your, your life struggled with alcoholism. And that hurt would prompt healing in somebody else's life. You'd walk alongside of them. Maybe you really wanted a baby and you struggled with infertility. My friend, maybe that journey has led you to the point where you've been able to heal to a certain extent. But maybe part of that healing process is for you to come along someone else who was going through it. Let me tell you, if all of our hurts were aired out publicly right now, I'm sure there would be people struggling with that in this very room. Or maybe there's abuse. Or maybe there's insecurity. Or maybe there's failure. Or maybe you've been fired. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? But if you would use your hurt as a way to help, the healing will not only impact your life, but it will impact somebody else's life. That's why I love the phrase, we are wounded healers. We are. And the most courageous thing you can do as a wounded healer is this, for you to move towards an opportunity for you to serve in an environment where hurting people are. We have a Celebrate Recovery group that is led by a dear friend of mine, and that group helps people with hurts and hang-ups and addictions. And friend, maybe if you've been involved with an addiction of the past, you could step in and help someone else heal in that group. Or maybe we have a grief group that is dealing with people who have struggled with loss in their life, and that's their hurt. Maybe you could walk alongside of some people, love them, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner. You know the drill, right? But be a part of their healing. Or maybe it would be just to get in, step into, and, and get into another group where you could be a part of the healing process. Or you could lead a group. Friends, we have opportunities, ministries throughout this church that are far and wide for he wounded healers to step in and be a part of a wonderful community we call the Jesus Community. Here's the other thing, that just because you're hurt, it doesn't mean that, that you're disqualified. 
In fact, it actually qualifies you. That hurt and pains and of the past are the very thing that qualifies you to help be a part of the healing process for every single one of us. So, so don't get on the sidelines. Get into the game. You're needed. People around you need you desperately in your story. So maybe that's your next step. And then we come to the final mark. And David, in his last line in Psalm 23, I love it. You can highlight it. You can underline it. You can... You can make this a part of your memory. He, he vows, he makes the decision. He says, look, I will trust in you. Look at verse 23. He says, but I will trust in you. Let's all read that out together. But I will trust in you. If you believe that, would you read it out again? But I will trust in you. If you're a Christ follower, would you say this to God, not to me? But I will trust in you. Say it one more time without me. But yeah, why would he say those things? Because David is convinced that there's a God who is stronger. That even though there's not going to be an instantaneous miracle, he will persevere because there's a God he's discovering who is stronger. And he says, look, I don't care about anybody else. I will trust in you. Now I want to ask you, what about you? What about your board here? What about the marks of hurt in your life? Are you hiding them? One of the marks in my own life was that I was deeply betrayed by a friend. He actually served on staff with me at a church. He cut me deeply. And I'm sure that I had hurt him. And I know I did. And I tried to make amends, but we never were able to reconcile. And it left me to the point where I was ready to give up on God's church altogether. I said, if this is ministry, God, count me out. But you know what happened? I trusted in God. That he was stronger than my deepest hurt at the time. And when I began to trust in God, the family of faith came around me and restoration began to take place. And I can tell you that I stand on the stage today because I did not give up on a God who is stronger than my deepest hurt in my very life. So I don't know what mark that you've experienced today, but let me tell you, friend, the guy that's on stage has been hurt too. And I trust in the God who is stronger. And there's people that are on our staff, and there's many of you here today. And maybe you sit here today and you look at the guy who's talking to you right now, or you look at the people in this church that may look really nice and be dressed up in good clothes, or maybe they're wearing jeans and a t-shirt, but you think, man, they must have it all together. Man, Jason, he must have it all together. You know, and, 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 and Mac, he must have it all together, right? And Sarah, she must have it all together. And he just goes on and on. But you know what we, we realize? We've all been hurt. And we've on, all gone through it. And we all must realize that God creates an unbelievable community of wounded healers when we say, but I will trust in you. And when we do that, it brings to mind the things that Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, Now I rejoice, not because you were made sad, but because you were made sad to the point of what? Repentance. You see, it's hurt that breaks us through the wall of our pride. It's hurt that brings us to our knees for the God of mercy. It's hurt that drives us to a point where we experience a stronger than God than our hurt and our pain. 
And if you're hurt today, maybe you find yourself in desperation for God. And that's the place, my friend, that brings us to repentance. And we define repentance in this church as a 180 and coming home to our Heavenly Father. And I've heard it time and time and time again in this community of faith. I've heard it from people, said it so many times. You know, Ray, I still hear the door slam when they left. And the void that I felt. But then they say, that void pushed me, it prodded me to listen to the very voice of God and to turn home and to repent and come back to this Jesus and to give my life to him. And he's been stronger then. Or I've heard it before where someone shares, you know, I cried through that whole entire service because I just couldn't help but wonder, am I ever going to get beyond this hurt in my life? Am I ever going to get beyond this thing in my life? And somewhere in the middle of the service, or even in today, or in this, in this message, you sit there and you wonder, and God leans into your ear and he says, you'll get through, because I'm stronger than There's really good things happening in this church. It's a great time to be at Graceland, in my opinion, okay? I'm a little biased, all right? But it is a good time. And we're seeing a lot of growth, and a lot of families are joining Graceland from all over the area. And I got to sit down with this one guy this week. And you know what he said to me? He said, Ray, every single week that I come, and I've only been coming a couple weeks, I sit there before the service begins. Notice that he comes before the service begins. It may be a clue to some of you who come in late, all right? Um, but he comes in before the service and he sits and he says, I just sense that God's going to do something incredible. And you know what? That's what it's all about. Because the God that is stronger than, he begins to do something incredible. And when we expect a miraculous, persevering miracle, we will see things happen in our lives. So this phrase that David ends on, but I will trust in you, that's his story. And hopefully that's my story. But I want to ask the question, is that your story? Will you trust in him? When the job isn't what you thought it would be? Will you trust in him when the wound is beyond what you understand? Will you trust in him when the alcoholism has cut you so deep? Will you trust in him when whatever is in front of you, my friend, you will trust in a stronger God? Will you stand with me? I just want to speak into your heart this morning. Would you just bow your head with me for a moment of silence? And, and the band isn't going to play yet or anything like that, but just in a moment of silence, okay? I want to ask you this question. Do you trust in Jesus today? Can you say, I will trust in you, God? And trust is placing all of your dependence and all of your dreams and all of your hope and even all your salvation upon him. I want to ask you, do you tr have you ever trusted him for the first time? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him for a relationship with him? Have you trusted in what he did in the cross? If you've never trusted in him as your Savior, you find yourself today in a spot where you can receive not only a relationship with your creator, but you can for eternity, my friend. Eternity. Experience heaven. Experience unbelievable life. Life and life to the full, as Jesus would go on to say. But it really goes back to whether or not you're going to trust him.
So I want to ask you, do you do, have you trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you have not, I, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer to God. It's not the words, but it's your heart, it's your posture, and it's you understanding where you stand and where God is. So I just want to help lead you this morning. If you don't have a personal relationship, you don't trust God, would you just say this in, to the Lord this morning? Heavenly Father, I come before you and I acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner and that I, you can fill your name in the blank, I, Ray Green, need you. And then this morning, I sense and know that you're near and I need you in my life and I want you to come into my life and it's been about me and it's time for it to be about you. I want you, I want you, the stronger than God, to move in my life and to start right now. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you a little bit later. But with every still head bowed and every eye closed, I'd also want to ask you if you're a Christ follower today. Do you find yourself in a place where you're trusting in your Savior? Maybe there's been some kind of trust that's been broken or you've been harboring bitterness and there's hurt in your life and you don't find yourself you've fully given your trust to him. Maybe this morning you need to say, but I trust in you, God. And maybe it's to come down front to these steps where no one will bother you, but you need to just cast your cares upon him. Or maybe it's to seek prayer from someone who would love to pray with you to my right or my left as I stand here on the stage. Or maybe as a Christ follower, you would come to the little communion tables and, and, and areas where the little morsel of bread and the little cup of juice would represent so much, so much greater. And that is that the stronger than Jesus, he would die for your, your sins. And that we would just remember and we would thank him this morning for that. Maybe that would be your next step. Or maybe today in this place, you just need to make a, a, a total declaration. But I will trust in you. I'm not sure where you are, but I encourage you to make that shift. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for our, every single person here, my friends. And I pray, God, that as we continue to learn, as we continue to grow, as we continue to, to trust and the stronger than God, I pray, I pray, God, that we would, as a collective whole, make us a step to trust in you.